Hey everybody, welcome back to week two of the podcast. Before we get into the nitty gritty of things, as always, Shree and I are here to give you our fun facts for the fortnight. So, mine is that Asia has the largest population of all the continents and China is the country with the largest population. And my fun fact is that octopuses have three hearts, which is actually terrifying. So, <laughs> anyway. You're listening to V and Shree, and we're about to spill the tea on procrastination and productivity. So, our first subtopic for the day is the idea of the night owl versus the morning lark. So, what is the difference? Essentially, a night owl is someone who is more productive in the later hours of the day, whereas a morning lark finds themselves in a better workflow in the earlier hours. So, in our case, Vanessa is what I would consider the morning lark, (laughs) and I am definitely a night owl. The importance of being able to distinguish what time of the day you work better lies in the fact that you can more clearly allocate distinct periods in which you work versus when you want to relax. This way, you won't be spending the entire day studying and by the end of the day, you'll have more of your to-do list completed. From my experience, I have always been told that it's more effective to wake up early and study in the morning. But personally, this method only seems to work when I'm really motivated to get work done. For example, when I've got a deadline to meet that day and still haven't completed my task. The main factor that has influenced my personal preference for working later in the day is my body clock. The best way to maximise your cognitive ability and by extension your productivity is to work with your body clock, which is something Associate Professor Mark Stokes from Deakin University's Faculty of Health has said. Our body clock, also called circadian rhythm, means we are generally programmed to be most alert during the day and less so at night. However, there are what is called chronotypes, so that's where morning larks and night owls come in. Morning larks have no issue waking up early because they would usually sleep earlier in the night. Comparatively, night night owls like myself hate waking up early because we don't fall asleep till much later in the evening. It's very obvious if you're a morning or evening person, you'll know which type you are. And after this self-discovery, the next thing to do is schedule. So to schedule your workday for maximum productivity, it is best to do difficult tasks like long reports when you instinctively feel at your best and leave easier jobs like clearing your inbox to when you feel less alert. But even when you're out of sync with your body clock due to you know less flexible schedules, you can still adjust your body clock and maintain productivity. The key to this is simply maintaining consistency in your sleep. Yeah, I think that's super important because I guess a lot of people, especially if you're in high school or university, not so much primary school, but um, you don't really have that consistent sleep schedule, do you? Yeah, definitely. Not me. (laughs) But yeah, so that's that. So Vanessa will now talk about the Pomodoro technique, which we love. Yeah, so we kind of touched on this in our last podcast, but I do want to go a bit more in depth about it. So we know the Pomodoro Method is a time management philosophy that revolves around self-assessment and intrinsic reward, aiming to provide maximum focus and creative focus that allows people to complete tasks faster and minimize mental fatigue. So I've just got a little quote here from Francis Cirillo or the creator of this method, which I thought was quite concise. So for many people, time is an enemy. The anxiety triggered by the ticking clock, in particular when a deadline is involved, leads to ineffective work and study behaviour, which in turn elicits the tendency to procrastinate. 
The Pomodoro Technique was created with the aim of using time as a valuable ally to accomplish what we want to do the way we want to do it and to empower us to continually improve our work or study processes. So basically what it aims to do is not only, you know, get the job done, but alleviate anxiety, enhance your focus and concentration, boost motivation, um, and improve your work and study process, which is something that I think we can all use no matter how old we are. Yes, definitely. So I'm sure you guys are all thinking, how the heck does this method even do this? How does it alleviate anxiety, enhance your focus, and where can I get some of that? (laughs) So it does this because it reduces internal and external distractions, helping you to remain more focused and ultimately more productive. So it works on the principle that for every project throughout the day, you budget your time into short increments and take breaks periodically. So how can we realistically do this? So at the beginning of the day, you need to have a to-do list that contains the following, a heading with a date, a place, and your name, a list of things to do in order of priority, and a section labeled unplanned and urgent so that if any unexpected things pop up, you can put them in there. From there, we decide on whatever needs to be done. So you pick a task. Two, you set your Pomodoro timer, which normally is 25 minutes of work because that has been scientifically proven to be a reasonable amount of time to complete a task without getting too distracted. Three, we work on the task until the timer rings, recording it with an X on your to-do list. And then four, we take a three to five minute break after the timer has run. Then we repeat the whole process for a total of four times, followed by a longer 15 to 30 minute break, crossing off items on your to-do list once they have been completed. For example, let's say I have some essay due that I want to complete. Each time I complete a Pomodoro or each 25 minutes, I put an X next to the task. Then let's say I complete the essay in five Pomodoros. Um, After that, I strike the essay off my to-do list and move on to my next priority. The key here is that there are 25 minutes of uninterrupted, pure work. And if you do get interrupted, unfortunately, you've got to start the whole process again. Similarly, you can't keep working once a timer rings. And I know a lot of us get into the habit of like, oh, just a few more minutes. But that doesn't work with this method. And this is because we need this time to disconnect from our work and allows our mind to really absorb everything that has been learned. That sounds so great. I love it. Yes. And we'll have a link in the show notes as well as to if you want to read up more about it as well. Perfect. So the next thing that we wanted to discuss is active recall. So a problem that Shristi and I see a lot of these days is that kids engage in something called passive learning, which is essentially the way that you are traditionally taught to study. So if things like rereading, highlighting and summarizing aren't effective note-taking strategies, what can we do? Well, the most effective methods, which we can both testify to, are called active recall and spaced repetition. Let me ask you, Shasty, when do you think we should test ourselves on content? Um, I mean, I would assume that it's like after you've learnt everything. Yeah, that's like the common assumption, right? Yeah. But it's actually a misconception. Oh. Even though it seems a bit counterintuitive, you should actually test yourself before knowing all the content. And this is what's called active recall. Wow. Yeah. So there was a study in 2013 by Don Lutsky et al. that showed five common study methods had a low utility, which essentially meant that you put in a lot of effort but didn't get a whole lot out of it. So this included things like highlighting, summarizing, mnemonics, imaginary imagery and rereading. Conversely, 
practice testing and distributed practice showed a high utility, boosting students' performance across many contexts and criterion. Now, we always encourage our students to back up their claim with more than one source, so naturally, we found another study. So what we're about to summarise is a 2011 study by Kopik and Blunt, all about active recall. So what these scientists did was give participants five minutes to read an article about sea otters, and then they were randomly assigned to one of four random conditions. The first group had no additional study. The second group studied the passage for 15 minutes in five minute blocks. The third spent 25 minutes doing mind maps. And our last group spent 10 minutes writing out all they could remember. Then they studied the passage for another five minutes. And then again, they wrote out all they could remember within 10 minutes. And this is active recall. So would you be surprised to know that those in the active recall group produced the best test results in terms of recalling facts and concepts? Wow, that's so insane. Yeah. So I guess the next question is, how can we do active recall? So there are two main methods you can do it. One is called the closed book method, which is essentially what the experiment did. You read something, read a chapter, a paragraph, a paper, and then you rewrite all you can remember. And then you can look over the textbook again to make sure that your facts are correct. And then the other one, which I do a lot of the time and I can highly recommend, is to ask yourself questions or make some flashcards. So a lot of people use the Cornell method, which is you have your notes on the right-hand side of the page. And then instead of summarizing it, on the left-hand side of the page, you write little questions. And so what this forces you to do is to engage with the material and use your brains to retrieve information rather than passively reading notes. Wow. Well, I love all of that information and hope you guys do too. So our next topic that I'll be covering is the topic of multitasking, which is a very highly debated topic. Yes, for sure. Yep. And it's a short one though. So there's a lot of information out there in the World Wide Web about how multitasking will either effectively negate your productivity levels or that it doesn't have much of an impact. So sorting out the scientific mumbo jumbo is hard even for us. So we're approaching this topic from personal experience. To simply put it, no, watching Netflix while studying is definitely not a good version of multitasking. Although I have definitely done it yeah. a few too many times. Me too. <laughs> but appropriate multitasking examples do include listening to music, so preferably something without lyrics so that you don't get distracted, at a quiet volume, so this is when you need to focus, right? But when you're running low on motivation, which we feel during exam periods guys yes you definitely need to choose music to pump up your energy level so that you can maintain your workflow and you know and get yourself out of that rut in terms of eating opt for healthier snacks like nuts and fruits and the occasional small bag of chips and chocolate um but definitely not a full-fledged meal so i don't want to see anyone eating their ramen while they're trying to write an essay <laughs> that's not going to work i no. promise you i've been there so this will definitely help you be able to um, distinguish between, you know, your work time and your relapse yeah. time, which is something that Vanessa and I often find that students don't enforce. And that's Absolutely. why they struggle so much. Yeah, they struggle so much in their productivity. But to sum it all up, we don't recommend doing traditional revision methods like highlighting or note taking, which Vanessa covered in her active recall summary. Instead, you should be complete, completely focused and not have distractions i.e. eating and Netflix, and consistently test yourself on the material you've learnt. 
On the next podcast, we talk about long and short-term study methods. So like us on Facebook or send us an email. And until then, be inquisitive.